When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled, Why SvelteKit Makes Full Stack Easy. So Mike and I have been messing around with Svelte and SvelteKit. Uh, I should say I shouldn't. I haven't been messing around with it. I haven't been using it. I've been floundering and panicking uh, is where is where I'm at. But if this sounds interesting to you and <laughs> you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server. Or share this with your friends. Um, maybe we should really put like a Matt like pity tier on our <laughs> On our Patreon, on our we Patreon. have a one, we have a $1 <laughs> tier, we have a $3 tier, it's a $2 pity tax, where it's like, oh, I pity Matt's, like, floundering. <laughs> but anyway, we, <laughs> we've packed the episode here for you today. Mike, let us know why SvelteKit makes full stack easy. All right, and just right off the bat, I want to clarify the word easy in this sentence, because I don't like to use it. But in rela- in relation to something else, so other full stack frameworks that I've used or other f- just full stack uh, combinations of technologies that I've used, in terms of those, that's where the relation is SvelteKit makes it easy, okay? Not that, hey, you can just learn SvelteKit really quickly and become a full stack developer in like two days and it's super easy. Not I'm not meaning that. So like Matt floundering, that's normal for a lot of people that are going to be diving into anything that's related to JavaScript frameworks or any other coding, whatever, you can flounder. Floundering is okay. Like flail around, whatever. Uh, Magikarp uses splash attack. That's fine. Use any, like any, any method that you want to go to, to learn and make sure that you're failing. That's fine. Like it's okay. But is this, now is your hatred for the word easy, at least in this context, driven by the fact that we've had several clients, I want to point out over the last, God knows how many years, probably seven years now, countless clients call us up and go like, hey, man, can you do enter in task here? And it's something wild. Like, let's take my slider and like automatically tap into my thoughts and have that 3D like generate. Obviously, I'm being ridiculous, but then they'll say and we'll we'll tell them, hey, man, like that's not what this platform does. And they'll reply with it should be easy or it, it it's easy. If it was easy, why'd you hire me? <laughs> Correct. And that is exactly where I have, like, it triggers me to the point where, like, yeah, I have to explain myself whenever I use the word in any situation, um, because sometimes it applies, obviously, maybe not even talk about coding. But when someone out of your domain, so for this case, in this case, it would be a client that does not work in development, right? He's not a developer in any way, shape or form. They do not touch code tells you that something in code is easy, that's triggering. I hate that. That's a red flag. If you're in that situation and you're at the point where you're like negotiating a contract and they're like, well, this, uh, you know, this, this delivery system where we can just copy what Uber did or something like that, that should be easy. That kind of conversational 
uh, just pushing aside kind of mentality is a huge red flag. Because first of all, just to clarify, a delivery system like what Uber has or whatever uh, is not easy. It's actually like the, one of the more complicated things ever developed. Anytime that you're trying to go from point A to point B in the most efficient way, treat that as really difficult. But for a client, sometimes in their head, Uber did it should be really easy. Just copy what Uber did, right? Like that. that's how they think. It's been so, invented. We're not inventing. We're not breaking new ground here. Correct. We'll just so, do what they did. Yeah. I'm not fully blaming the client in this situation when they say that, but a lot of times you'll push back and be like, well, no, it's not easy. And then they'll push back on you and that, that back and forth that you have, that can be kind of like the, the enforcer of the red flag. If you push back and be like, oh, actually, you know what? That's actually one of the hardest things to do in programming. And that requires like a team of developers, like a massive team of developers to be able to do efficiently. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Thanks for letting me know. Obviously, you can alleviate like some of the things like just just the person saying easy is obviously not the red flag. It's the way they say it and the way they try to back it up is the red flag. So, yes, just as a full aside here, easy does not mean, hey, you can just jump into it right away. But in full stack terms, I'm saying that SvelteKit is makes it a lot easier. So with having said that. Let's dive right in. I kind of want to give a quick overview of full stack. I'm not going to go into too deep into what SvelteKit is or full stack because we have tons of episodes on that. You can check out our back catalog. Maybe we'll link a few in the show notes. But for now, I just want to kind of take you through what is a what, what I consider a full stack developer. The front end is part of a full stack, is the visual UI and any logic around displaying or interacting with that visual UI, okay? So on your website, when you have posts being displayed or your homepage, all of that is front-end. You're laying it out, you're using CSS, HTML, that's all front-end. And then if you're clicking a button and making like a counter increment, that's also front-end because it's all happening on the client's machine, it's all happening in the UI, right? Backend is the layer that serves you dynamic content, authorizes your API calls, performs some sort of data manipulations or interacts with the database. Okay, so it's something that, although it can interact with the front end and interact with the UI, it's something that is very separate and can stand alone from a UI. And usually it can be even accessed by multiple different front ends if, if need be, obviously not every time. But that's the separation that we're making with front end and back end. And then anytime you're pulling, for instance, data from a database, sanitizing it, like changing it in some sort of way, maybe securing it, making sure that only certain users can access certain data, and then serving and displaying that data to UI, that process from start to finish is what we call full stack. Okay, that's just one example of full stack. Obviously, there's a million different ways that can interact with each other. But I just wanted to give you a real world example of what I consider to be a full stack situation, a full stack developer. Now, let's jump into what how SvelteKit plays into this kind of equation, right? So SvelteKit, again, talked about it a ton on this podcast, but it's a JavaScript framework that makes building interactive and data-heavy UIs easier. Svelte, from the SvelteKit, so Svelte is separate, is the front-end side library, like the, the framework that focuses solely and only on front-end development, okay? SvelteKit, so that kit is, is added, is a separate framework that's built on top of Svelte that adds in functionality like routing, like server-side rendering, static site generation, and the ability to run API calls, backend API calls. 
So it adds an ability to run Node and Express, and Node and Express can actually serve your entire Svelte application. So it's a it combines back end and front end. That's the best way I like to think about it. Can okay? you can you actually give an example of like a really simple app that and and then maybe break it down? I don't know if this is a bit too much off the cuff, but say you know we're making an app and the UI is Svelte, and then the uh you know this part of it like maybe it's pulling an rss feeder whatever it is like whatever example you want to come up with but then this part is where node and, and this and this is where svelte kit starts like can we have like some clear could you maybe give an example with some clear boundaries because i know for sure there's going to be people out there and myself included with the full stack struggle series is i'll i'll say you know svelte slash svelte kit but in reality i'm realistically only really using svelte and i'm going to definitely struggle with where the border is as i do where where the border of vanilla JS and Svelte begins, I'm going to struggle with where the big order between Svelte and Svelte begin and end. Absolutely. Let me give a really basic example of a to-do list, right? That's the first thing that a lot of people build in any framework. But let's do a, like a full to-do list with all the functionality that you would expect that a regular to-do list like Todoist or uh, Asana, what, like, like a, a to-do list with the ability to log in, store your to-dos and be able to access them from any computer that you want or any device, Okay. That's mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about in this case. So if we're talking about the front end side of things, so displaying the to-dos, okay, so you have you have your list of to-dos that you've already inputted, that's all going to be svelte. That's all going to be handled with svelte. Displaying, looping over, conditionalizing all the to-dos, that's svelte purely. Okay, so you're like literally using, the visual elements. Yes. I mean that that that's that's mixed with HTML CSS as well. Correct. And maybe maybe a little bit of vanilla JS in there too, potentially. But like more or less like the visual stuff. Like if you if you could if you were not logged in and you just could somehow view a default thing, you would have like empty content boxes that would represent the the to dos, right? Mm-hmm. The to do list. You would have maybe like buttons that didn't go anywhere, but buttons that you know could log in, log out, and like a checkbox so you could check uh, the to-dos off. You could say, oh, look, at that. I'm done that one. I'm done this one. I'm not done that one. Correct. The checkbox, the animation on the checkbox, everything, that's all svelte, okay? Okay. Um, the actions on the check, like if it triggers something like an API, that's also svelte. Okay. Now, where svelte kit comes in is first thing, let's say you have separate pages. So one page is, for instance, a about page and the other page is your to-do list. The routing between those two pages, how how that is handled in SvelteKit is page-based routing, right? Like you put it in a file folder with uh, with a like in a routes folder, and then you in each route you can create a folder, and then in each folder you have a plus page dot Svelte, right? That whole system of routing that's SvelteKit. Okay, that's a key component of SvelteKit. So being able to file-based route. And having those separators for page.svelte and server.svelte, that's all SvelteKit. Another thing where SvelteKit comes into play hugely is, let's say you need to log in. So again, we talked about this to-do list being something where a user has to be able to log in and save their to-dos in their account so that they can go to their laptop later on and log into that same account and access that to-do list. Okay. The logging in portion has to be done on the back end. The key thing here is that anytime you're, you're logging in, you have credentials like a password or anything like that, you need some sort of a server that can hide your secrets, that can encrypt your password, that can interact with the database, 
Because if you do that on the front end with just pure Svelte, you can technically do it. Nothing's stopping you from doing that because you can act, you can, you know, fetch APIs, fetch works just the same in front end and back end. But if you do it on the front end and let's say you're passing in a password into a database, like you're checking a password on a database from the front end to the database directly, that password, if you, if someone opens up the network tab, they can see that. It's in plain text. If someone inter in, if someone intercepts your packets, they can see that in plain text. They can now, see how so, you're encrypting it. So, like with with that with that example, then let's take something that is public. So let's take an R, an RSS. So let's just like an RSS feed. And let's just say you're using some sort of API that's out there. It's public. It's free. Okay, and you can basically run this API, and it and you can specify which RSS feed you want to grab. So let's just say you're grabbing um, our podcast. Sure. So it will. In this case, this example will return a JSON response. And then you can parse through that. You can do that with Svelte because it's public information anyway. Who gives a crap? Like, oh, no, I've someone stole my fetch data, which they can literally browse to themselves anyway. Who cares? So that type of thing could be done on Svelte. But then with SvelteKit is sort of like, I guess it's a very obvious example, but you already did it, which is the authentication. You want that hidden. What would another example that maybe some people would struggle with? where they would not be quite sure whether it should be Svelte or SvelteKit. Is there another example that isn't so, say, blunt with security like authenticating a user? Well, it's all going to come down mostly either to security or performance. So if you want to do like a caching of your APIs, right, that needs to happen on the server side of things. So if if your application is interacting with the GitHub API, let's say, right, the GitHub API has a limit of 5,000 per hour, 5,000 hits per hour, Mm -hmm. and you need to allow 10,000 people to use that per hour, then with the Svelte kit, you can cache that API on your server side. So with using the node modules, you can using the node uh, things and a database, right? You can cache the API. And then when your users are actually accessing it, instead of accessing directly to GitHub, they're accessing your API that you created in Svelte kit and reading it. And what your API does is then when a user accesses it, it checks your GitHub once. If there's nothing changed, then that's a free check that doesn't count against your 5,000 uh, 5, an hour or whatever. If nothing's changed, then it won't pull all that information. So it's 5,000 pulls. Pulls, yeah, essentially, okay. yes. 5,000 pulls of information. So you can use that kind of as a proxy to make sure that you're only ever updating that information, updating your uh, cache when something changes on the server. So an okay. example, like a, to break it down a little bit for people, if you were to have an API call on Svelte, that's on the user's machine, which means that let's say it's one call and one pull per per mm-hmm. user. Let's just say hypothetically say that means with a 5,000 limit an hour, if, if 5,000 people went to your site, you are out of API calls. Yep. And you, and then the 5,000 at first person would encounter an error or maybe you did some error handling and you, you know, showed something. But right. you could do the API call handling in a very basic example with um, with SvelteKit, meaning that the server, like your server, which is in the background, your server does the API calls. And let's say it uh, let's just go back to the RSS example really, really quick. So we have a bunch of old episodes in our RSS feed for our podcast. It pulls all our episodes in. So let's just say for the sake of example, it pulls in a hundred episodes, pulls in a hundred episodes and it stores those in a database. And then when somebody goes to each episode, we could have it checked to see if there's any been, been any changes. 
or we could not do that. We could have it check, you know, let's say periodically. Sure. But, yeah. at the, but at the end of the day, the user's computer is pulling from our database. They're not pulling directly from the RSS feed or in the GitHub example, they're not pulling directly from GitHub is basically Correct. the line that you're drawing. Security and efficiency is kind of the line and, so- and availability of API, I guess. Yeah, security efficiency, availability of API. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff that you could do with the back end that you can't really do on the front end, like accessing files, right? Like if you're uploading a file, uh, there is no file, um, there's no system file API, right? On the web, you can't access a file system. Mm-hmm. But a Node.js, you can access the file system. So if you need to store stuff on your server, so if someone's uploading a file, you need to store it. A lot of times you will need a back end route for that. Like a... Like a word, I mean, like a, this isn't spelt, but like, like, like when you upload a, a, a piece of media, so like a, a picture yep. to WordPress, for example, yeah. that's storing it in some sort of file structure. And then obviously WordPress is handling the file structure, but that's, that is running PHP, which is a background or a backend, backend. language. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, something like that. Um, that might not be the best example, but regardless, there's a bunch of different things that you need to, that you can do with the backend that you can't do with the front end. And a lot of times it's, due to efficiency and a lot of times it's due to authentication and you just have to decide which one you need to kind of do. Um, like for, let's go back to the to-do example again. Uh, for instance, again, you're storing to-dos, right? Like you need to access your database. You want to make sure that you only read your to-dos. So you may want to make sure that your session, like in your session storage or whatever, your ID is stored, that's stored on a database. And so when you're accessing the backend, only your to-dos are pulled in. But let's say someone guesses your ID or gets your ID or something like that. They can easily just go and pull your to-dos if it's just a Svelte application. If they're just accessing directly to the database. Well, if you have a layer, an authentication layer in your backend that checks to make sure that you're logged in, then they can't. So again, it's that's the security side of things. So you want to make sure that when you're pulling in the data that you're pulling in, you're only pulling in the data that is relevant to you. It becomes even more important, obviously, in more secure situations where it's like health data or medical data or whatever. You have to make sure that 100% it's only there or banking or any sort of money transactional data. You want to make sure that only you are pulling in the information that you should be seeing. Um, so yeah, that's where you have to start thinking, okay, I have, I have to go with something that can do a backend properly with without touching the front end. Okay, so I think we've broken down kind of the ability that Svelte and Svelte could have. Um, I'm hoping that, like, again, Svelte is very much focused on the front end. So any sort of UI manipulation, looping through and displaying data, conditionally showing and hiding things based on the state of that data, sharing information across components and pages through, like, stores and stuff like that. That's all what SvelteKit enables, right? That's, a, that's, that's what any JavaScript framework will enable for you. So I want to talk about specifically what makes it easy to start building full stack applications with SvelteKit versus something like, I'm not going to say Next because Next is also pretty good. I'm going to talk, I'm going to compare directly to something like if you're building a React application with like a Python backend. Okay. With like a Django backend or you're building a, uh, HTML, CSS front end and a PHP backend that are separate, you know, two separate things. And that happens quite often. You have a front end that stand on its own and a back end that stand on its own. You connect them through APIs, right? That's a standard process. That's how we've been building. That's how we've been building apps for a really long time. Um, 
But there has been always this thing of like, hey, why don't we do it all in one file like all, or all in one uh, app? So WordPress is an example of a system that is all in one file structure, right? So one repository holds the front end and the back end code, okay? Uh, there, there's been plenty of examples in the past that did this. The, what, the difference with the Svelte kit way and the Next.js and the Next.js way is that we're shifting from, hey, let's doing, doing it in pure backend language. We're doing it in pure frontend language. So we're doing a, a framework that can do JavaScript on the front end, which is the native jo- language of the web. And we're using JavaScript on the back end and we're connecting them. Okay. It's all in one repo. It's all in the same, it's all in the same, uh, repository and the, the data, the data sharing is where things get really, really interesting. And I'm going to get into that in a second. So first things first, when you're talking about Svelte and SvelteKit, you're talking about a framework that makes it a lot easier to start onboarding yourself to JavaScript frameworks in general. I've talked to developers of different degrees of um, seniority. So I've talked to senior developers and I've talked to people that are just starting out with just basic JavaScript knowledge. And both have told me when they go to Svelte versus something like React or, uh, or Nuxt, it's a little bit easier for them to wrap their heads around it because when they're looking at it, it looks like JavaScript. So if you have a good base in JavaScript, you already understand the basic components of Svelte. You just need to go to the documentation and read how certain things are done when you need them. So if you need to declare a variable in your JavaScript and have it be readable in your HTML, the way to do that is just to literally declare the variable, let count equals zero, right? And then when you're in your HTML, you have your squiggly braces and you put in inside your squiggly braces, your handlebars, you put the variable name count. And that's it. That's the connection. That's all you have to do to connect the logic to the front end, to the, to the layout. And same, same thing goes for like properties. All you have to do is add an export in front of it. So the syntax is easy. The, what happens in the background is a little bit magic, right? But the syntax makes it a lot easier to start reading it, reading the code and figuring out and playing with it. Versus, again, something like React on the front-end side of things, it takes a little bit more time to wrap your head around because there's new syntax that you have to learn with like set state, use state, and all of that stuff that makes it just one more step that you have to learn on top of everything else and remember and write every single time as well. Like just writing the code is a lot faster in Svelte because there's less code that you have to write. It's also important to know that you don't have to learn a new templating language like JSX. JSX and React is a little bit more involved in the sense that, hey, I can't use class anymore. I have to use class name. Uh, the looping is a little bit more JavaScripty. So if you're better at HTML than you are at JavaScript, it's going to look a little bit weird to you because you're like all of a sudden JavaScript is just all over your templating. So it just doesn't look like HTML anymore. That's how I see it, at least with Svelte. It's mostly just HTML. So there's really no, like you can write pure HTML in Svelte. It'll work, no problem. But Svelte gives you a few helpers, like an if block and an each block for allow you for looping, and then lets you do with that what you need to do, right? It does. It gets out of your way as you're doing your layouts because you don't have to worry about it. And then it brings it back in when you're like, okay, I need to show this I need to show the profile image if someone's logged in and I need to show a login button if someone is logged out. That's where you're like, okay, now I can reach for Svelte. 
I can have an if statement here. If per, if user is logged in, show this. If user is or else show that. So you're, you're starting to like progressively add Svelte components in rather than figuring out how Svelte works and then trying to figure out how to build your UI as well. And that's, that's saving you from the vanilla way, which would be you have to create an element, then attach that or put that element into the nav bar. Let's say if it's a little profile picture, if someone's logged in, so then you're, let's say your PHP would report, yeah, you are signed in. So then you'd have to have this, you know, create element and now put the element inside of the nav bar. And instead of you having to do all that, it, you kind of literally logically do it with logic right in the UI, right in the, uh, what I would call the HTML area of your Svelte file. Yeah, that's exactly it. So it's just kind of like you bring, you're mixing in a little bit of logic with your HTML and allows you to do a lot of more powerful things rather than pure JavaScript way of doing it, right? So it's just faster. It's faster at building UIs. That's the whole point of all these frameworks is to be able to build complex UIs quickly, okay? That's what you have to realize. It's not, it's not there to get in your way. Like a lot of people go into it with a really negative mindset of like, hey, I can do this in JavaScript in 15 lines of code. Like why would I need to learn this whole new framework on top of that to be able to do it in one line, right? Like I can already do this. The fact is that what what these frameworks do is they do everything that you can already do, yes, but a lot more efficiently. And usually, unless you're a JavaScript wizard, usually it's going to actually be a little bit more performant in that way, right? Like I, that's a little bit of a controversial statement, but I have seen really, really inefficient JavaScript le- JavaScript only websites that perform like dogs because it's like these people are writing really complicated loops and filters and all that that just aren't necessary when you have something in a framework that can do it in one line and usually faster because it's already been optimized by 20 different open source engineers to be as optimized as possible. I guess I guess when you said that too, that, that there does come like maybe what comes with that territory of using vanilla and being stuck in vanilla is that you're coding things up as you think of them, which you do in Svelte and anything else, React and everything as well. Then there's the refactoring stage. But when you're doing it in vanilla, you don't have anything sort of behind you. You don't have that if and that. So you might develop, say, programmatically the same if or the same uh, logic, I should say, in vanilla JavaScript, like three different ways. And when you're in the refactor stage, you might go and fix maybe some errors or warnings or or uh, clean up stuff that's very obvious. But those things might be so obscured by the fact that there's such a bulk amount of code and there's so many things that were done. You're not going to co- you're not going to go in and really, really, really refactor at that point, whereas that might be what it what was required and you couldn't do because of deadlines or maybe you just didn't have the know how. I'm sure there's like probably there's a whole bunch of the bunch of that out there, but you can kind of see the or I can kind of see the benefit of having one of these things behind me, having just started full stack struggles, um, because for me, it, it was very much that what Mike said, where every time I, I booted something up or I uh, looked at a documentation of a, of a React or any sort of other framework of a Svelte, it would very much be, well, I already know how to do this image manipulation. I already know how to do you know, adding, removing things from the DOM. I already know how to show things. I already know how to interact with PHP to an extent. So it's like, why would I learn this all over again? And if you're just doing landing pages, there probably really isn't a reason. But it it does come down to when you do have more of a web app or more interactive website, where then you have like a structure behind you, where then you're not 
reinventing the wheel over and over again. That's exactly it. Like re- the reinvention of the wheel and the fact that to be to build a proper web app in pure JavaScript requires architecture. Like you need to architect the app start start to finish really really well, and you need to architect the, the what what Matt is saying, like those reusable the reusable factors, like the reusable things. Like, hey, I know in this app I'm going to need to hide and show this block in all these different pages, so I need to know that hey, I need to build that block out as a separate block that I can pull into all the different pages, right? You need to really think through every step, every part of your application to properly architect a JavaScript app from scratch that will perform better than the React, Svelte, or Vue alternative that's less architected. Because the architecture is there for, done for you, like the base architecture. You just have to worry about using the patterns that have already been established in the right way. That's it. Whereas defining those patterns all over again is a much much bigger task. So having said that, uh, the other benefit of something like Svelte is the single file component system, being able to write HTML, CSS, and JavaScript all in one file. Or if you're going with Tailwind, you can even skip the CSS and have your, your styling done right in the HTML, keeping it even more local, even more, sec- even more um, like localization of behavior. You don't have to scroll as much, right, in, in a single file. It helps you build out like your architecture in your mind of easier like componentized systems. Because if you don't have to worry about switching between like this CSS file and that CSS file to be able to control this HTML and then having this utilities file over here that controls this piece of, of UI, it's just easier to think like, oh, I, I need a button. This button will have everything it could possibly need inside of that one file, right? So Joe, go out there and build a button for the entire app for us. Right. A lot of times, if you don't have single file components, it might be a little bit more difficult to have um, collaborative workflows, because if someone's building out a button and it has to use the global styles or the whatever other style sheets that you have, and then someone else is building out a input box and it has to use those same things. Now you're talking about merge conflicts. Right. They could be building the same CSS. They could be using the same class names. Right. If the button has a label and the input box has a label, that can collide. So it, it requires, again, a little bit more thought, a little bit more architecture, a little bit more project management to do it in the non-architected, uh, in the non-single like single file component way. It's still doable. A lot of people still do it, and that's fine, but it just requires that extra step. It's not as easy. I, I think anyone who who make who has had any sort of interaction with either working with multiple people or trying to create a complex UI, even if they're just doing the UI part, HTML, CSS, and not even touching JS, I'm sure, and, and I've done this a hundred times, where you have the greatest intentions of having, okay, this is going to be my button structure, this is going to be this, this is going to be that, and that is sort of the best way and probably the way you should be doing it, but then you're just trying to get your coding done and you've lost your button class or you're adding a whole bunch of other classes to it where it's like button, button featured, button feature one, button featured on homepage. And you have this like, like this slew of classes where things just start getting out of control. And then you, if you leave the project for a while and you come back, your structure is going to be unique every time for the most part, because you're going to be constantly designing new more than likely. If you're always going from scratch and then you're going to forget all that and having these commented sections where it's like button. Okay. Now this other's commented section is button new and you know, inside a button new, this is my new. So I literally button slash new in my CSS. And it just, 
Like it sounds like I'm talking gibberish and it's because the CSS becomes gibberish where things just get super out of control. And so even I like, again, through full sex struggles, going through the components allows me to have like button, like let's say a class like dot button work here, but then work differently in another component. Like dot button for my adding might be all green buttons because I'm adding something, but then for a, a removal component might be red. Then that is still just dot button. And I'm not, Messing around and messing around and messing around, constantly trying to get things to work and constantly trying to get everything to be super organized. And I'm doing something very simple at the end of the day in comparison to what some some other I'm sure what some other things have uh, some other websites have where they have like tons upon tons upon tons of different pages and tons of design iterations upon that. You can see how it would just become an absolute nightmare for a for the programmer, for the person doing the CSS, let's say, and the HTML and the designers as well, where they have their classic Rev1, Rev2, Rev2, total disaster. So you can see how having sort of this separation within the components would be very valuable and allow you to more easily chase down layout problems and more easily tackle them right away. Yeah. That's absolutely it. And it just becomes easier to kind of come back to a project because if, if you need to figure out where a button is, you just search for button in the project and you usually find every every piece of code that's associated with that button. You know what I mean? You don't have to go through looking for 15 different files. So there, there's a lot of advantages to it. I'm, I, there are disadvantages to locality of behavior. There are disadvantages to the componentization for sure. Um and people can argue with me, that's fine. But I'm just saying for me, it makes my development process easier as well as for a team of developers that if I manage, it makes their development process easier in our certain scope. Okay. That's why I kind of wanted to bring it up that single file components for me have been a, a huge, huge part of loving these kinds of frameworks. The other part of what makes SvelteKit kind of really special and, uh, and makes it easier to do full stack development is the fact that the back end lives in the same file structure as the front end. Now, I'm not saying they live in the same file. That's different. So there are some frameworks where you can literally write backend code and frontend code in the exact same file. I'm on the fence on that. Uh, it's a little bit confusing, especially if you don't label it properly and stuff like that. And it could lead to some serious security issues because if you can imagine being able to write backend code and frontend code by accident passing in a API key to your frontend, that's there. That's available on the web, right? That's it. Like it's, it's gone. So... It's a little bit easy to make big mistakes. SvelteKit does it a little bit differently where let's say you have a, a, a page called um, to-do, right? The to-do page. In that page, you can have a plus uh, to-do, plus page.svelte file. That's your Svelte. That's your front end. And you can also have a plus server.ts file or JS file. That's your back end. So therefore, they're linked because they're in the same folder. But they're two separate files. Whatever you write in your server.ts is going to be a Node.js with an express framework around it API. And you can then use the SvelteKit way and pass in return variables inside that TS file that will then be passed to your front end. So it'll seamlessly pass server-side variables, whatever you want to return. You don't have to, you obviously don't want to return everything. Sometimes you want to sanitize the data, like maybe you don't need a million different posts or a million different uh, parameters of a post that you get from an API. You just need 10 of them. So you just map out just 10 of the of the parameters into a new array and return that array, right? And the, and the call between on the server side can be done securely or it can be cached, whatever you want to do. 
So there's a big advantage of that. And it's all living not only in terms of the file structure, but also in terms of the code in the same repo. And what that means is that the front end, when you pass, when you return the data from the server file to the front end, the front end can see what that data is going to be. So TypeScript plays a huge role in this, where if you're pass, if you're pulling in data on the front end from a, from a server file, you can all of a sudden just put like dot, uh, whatever attribute. So if it's dot to do's, it would be dot to do's and then maybe check which attributes are available on the to do. And if you put in the wrong one or you, you misspell like, Hey, dot to do name and you forget the E, it'll give you an error. Like, Hey, you need an E there because the back end is passing in an E. So that communication between the front end and the back end, it can be achieved on a separate database. Like if you have a PHP and a HTML CSS, it can be achieved, but you have to have a layer to achieve that. GraphQL is one of those layers where you can have the back end spit out all the types, the proper types, and the front end can read those types, and therefore you can have that. But again, that's an extra extra layer you have to set up and manage yourself. Whereas SvelteKit does that for you automatically just by using this server structure. I do want to mention something here. So like, you know, many people I'm sure will probably start with just Svelte and then they'll try to use some backend stuff with SvelteKit. And you mentioned you know, some of these people are not going to have any knowledge of backend before. And you mentioned that, you know, there's your separate file, but that it's Node.js with an express framework around it. And then there's SvelteKit. Like how many layers is this? So do, does the person that wants to say they've learned Svelte, they want to, they want to try this out. Do they just try to learn SvelteKit or do they got to like, no, 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 no. You got to go and learn your Node.js. Then you got to learn your Express. Like what, like what is, can you like kind of lay that out into how that works? Cause it sounds like we're starting to get a lot of layers upon layers upon layers, you know, the, the layers come in when you need to do something more complex. Right. Like knowing that, uh, the node APIs, the, the, the SvelteKit APIs, the server files are running in Node.js with Express on top of it. That becomes useful when you're trying to do something more complex than just pulling in data. The pattern of pulling in data is available for you on the SvelteKit website on how to do it in SvelteKit. You don't have to worry about learning every node function out there to be able to do that. I wouldn't worry about it until you need it. But if you don't know that, hey, in my server file, I'm writing node with Express, then when you go out and like you, you get stuck on something like, hey, I can't like I can't cryptographically un, un, um, uncompress this or whatever. Un, like I can't I can't do something specific to a, a back end thing. Right. I can't do something. You'll be searching in the wrong areas. You'll be searching like SvelteKit, how to cryptographically, whatever. Whereas if you know that, hey, this is just running Node, just basic Node with Express, you just type in to Google, hey, how do you do this in Node Express? And you have that opportunity for you. You have way more resources to pull from if you know what the technology is that's running each one. With SvelteKit, you know that SvelteKit has its own thing, but it's also running JavaScript. So sometimes if you can't find an answer in SvelteKit terms, that's when you go and you look at it in JavaScript terms because a lot of what it's running is just straight plain JavaScript. So if you're having an error and you don't know if it's SvelteKit or JavaScript, my suggestion is always check some, like use the SvelteKit keyword in your Google search. But if you can't find it in SvelteKit, search it with, with JavaScript, like remove SvelteKit and put JavaScript in the same Even search. for the backend section, like even for 
So with the backend section, it's the same thing. Now that you know that, hey, the backend stuff, the server file is Node.js and and Express, first search it with with SvelteKit, obviously, because there's going to be patterns that SvelteKit gives you. Mm -hmm. But if you can't find the answer with the SvelteKit keyword, put in Node.js and Express. So this is this is a question, I guess, that comes out is is, is this is like you're not going to know that, though, like as a complete beginner, like from the perspective of someone. Who just learned your three pillars, HTML, CSS, JS, then your Svelte, just Svelte, not Svelte kit, then decided, well, I know Svelte, I'm going to try Svelte kit. They're not going to know that. Like maybe they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll hear us talking about it and they'll be like, oh, there is a node and there's an express layer, but they've never used node. They've never used express. So. I mean, and and this really like talks to me because I've never used those either. So when I'm making the full stack struggles episodes, like when I get to the back end thing, which is not all that far away, when I get to the back end stuff, like how I mean, lack of a better way to say it, how screwed am I? Am I going to have to go, OK, drop everything? Because like um, some of the stuff I'm not is going to be more complex than just pulling in data, like you said. So um, am I going to have to go, OK, like put this aside, new project. Node, node, my first app, hello world. And like, am I going to, and then learn that for a couple months and then go to express. Like, is that where this is going to, like, is that where we're going to be at? Like, is that what I'm going to have to do? Not necessarily. I think you can learn a lot of node using SvelteKit personally. There's a lot you can learn just by using SvelteKit. Now, I think where, where you'll need to go is you'll need to take a SvelteKit course. Like find a crash course or find a Svelte or just use the Svelte dot uh, learn. Like SvelteKit has a course right built into their website. Go through that because it'll show Svelte you SvelteKit or the Node and Express. No SvelteKit will ha- will we'll, if if you take the SvelteKit course on the SvelteKit website, it'll explain what's going on. Okay, it's like this 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 is part of SvelteKit documentation that hey these files are running Node. Right. Right. Okay. Like this isn't just something that I learned from like looking at the source code. This is something that they make available f- for us. So when you go through the SvelteKit course, they'll explain that, hey, this is Node. This is what the limitations are. This is what you can run. Try these different examples or whatever of running different Node type a- APIs, uh, whatever you need to do. And that'll give you a better understanding of what is available to you on a SvelteKit API specifically. Now, there's going to be some things like if you have some sort of really edge case scenario where you need something in Node, that's when you would go and be like, hey, I need to search for this in Node. And I don't like you don't need to separate out a separate project to learn that. You can just do it right inside your SvelteKit project while learning Node.js, either the documentation or a course on Node or whatever you need, depending on your depending on your requirements. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the I, the the point is like with with this stuff is that it's not going to make things super easy for everyone. It's not just going to all all of a sudden make everyone an expert full stack developer just because it exists. It just gives you the tools and the localization of those tools into one repo and one project where it makes it a little bit easier to just try out different things and be able to communicate with the front end and the back end without worrying about how you're going to host the back end and how you're going to host the front end separately and then how you're going to communicate with the two because that that whole task that I just described that's a that's a massive thing that's an undertaking like you need a vps for the back end if you're using node right like you can't just use a traditional host that uses php you need maybe a, a like a traditional host for their front end depending on how you go with so now you're managing two different deployments if something goes wrong 
where is the error? Like it becomes much more difficult and you're passing in data and you don't know what the front end is giving the back end or the back end is giving the front end because they're two completely different projects. So this combines them in one and makes it easier to communicate between the two. That's it. That's what it does. It still is a back end and a front end though. So you still need to know, like if you need to do something complex on the back end, you still need to know the back end. So it doesn't stop you from learning back end stuff. Right. I, so, I guess I guess my my concern of it is that like you and I always preach the the three pillars, which is foundational. And then it, it makes me worry, like, okay, obviously HTML, CSS, and JS in their default vanilla form are front end things. They're front end pieces of technology. Kind of. Not anymore. Right. We've like we meaning the community has has extended JavaScript so that it yes. can be used as a backend. Yep. But like by default, it it, it wasn't designed for yep. that or it wasn't released as that. So like like the that's where I almost question like do we need another pillar? It kind of sounds like we don't, but it's like how do I describe this? It's almost it's almost like I understand that we don't need to like know every little tiny in and out of every piece of technology we use. People who install WordPress, myself included, don't know how every little tiny little thing works. Don't know every little error that could pop up. We under, I understand that, but like I just think that is this like is this not like a gaping hole in your knowledge? Like you, like you, Mike, like you you work on stuff as like a let's say like a senior full stack developer. If someone was like right now, you have to go and like not not with Svelte, not with React, no Svelte kit, no none of that. Just go make us a. Uh, a web app and it has to use node. Can you just do that? Like, are you able to just spin up on that? Or like how much of your knowledge is like Svelte ish? (laughs) No. uh, So anytime I'm writing code inside of a server file, I'm writing Node.js code, right? It looks like JavaScript because it is JavaScript. So there's not a, it's not a huge leap going from JavaScript to Node.js because it's the same, but just added functionality. But to, to answer your question, yes, like if someone needs a node CLI to be built out, for instance, like a, a little app that you can run from your CLI, pass in some parameters and then spits on some information, right? That's a common node uh, application that you would build out as your one of your first ones. Like if I type um, in the, the number one, press enter, it would reply with hello world, like your, sure, classic, yeah, like, your yeah. classic first app or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like something like that. So it, I can definitely build out a quick CLI if it needs to like access a server and parse some APIs and pull in some data and then maybe even create a file. You know what I mean? Because with Node, the advantage is, again, you have the access to the file system. You can create a file, store a file. You can output a file. You can do a lot of, you can, you can do a lot of hardware level things that you can't do on the web, right? Like you can't put a file in a specific folder. On, a, on the web. You can make a file and then ask someone to download it, but then you don't have control of where that file goes. So that's what Node allows you to do is it gives you the file system. So yes, to answer your question, yes, I can do that. And mostly I can do that because I have practiced Node.js even before I went into SvelteKit. So saying that you need another pillar might be the correct thought process because it's adding a whole other element to your coding. Because now you, you, you're starting to think differently than front-end. Because the three pillars that we always preach is front-end web development. That should be yeah. the key thing here. HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is what you need for front-end web development. As soon as you talk back-end, yes, JavaScript is in there. But back-end JavaScript slightly varies and gives you access to more things than front-end JavaScript. So you need to know the differences there. 
mm-hmm. is the ramp up the same as like going from zero to programmer in JavaScript? I would say no. I think it's a little bit easier because you have a base in how the programming language works. For loops are still for loops. You know what I mean? A fetch, a fetch API is still a fetch API. So if you've done it on the front end, you can do it on the back end, right? So you have a lot of patterns and a lot of knowledge that you can pull from when you're doing this backend code, but you still need to kind of put in that effort and figure out where the other stuff in the backend, like the file API, maybe some cryptographic stuff, right? So like encrypting and decrypting uh, passwords, a lot of that is backend based. That kind of stuff is where you have to start reaching for like, okay, now I need to learn this. Now I need to learn this, right? Mm-hmm. So you just pull in a couple of different things. It's, it's very similar to then go, going from HTML to CSS and JavaScript to a framework. Right, right. It's a very similar process to going from HTML, JavaScript, CSS, and JavaScript to Node.js. Right. Okay. I, I guess the thing I'm trying to establish as well, like just to kind of tie it back to the, the episode's title is I'm, I'm obviously I, I sound like I'm over trying to overcomplicate things on an episode that's talking about easy, but I'm trying to more or less get some context on who is it easy for? Is it easy for the person that already is using React? Is it for easy for the person that's already using Node? It, you know, who is it easy for? It, it's a really good question. And I should answer that. And I should answer that earlier. It, this is easy for people that have already worked with both the front end and the back end. This is easy for full stack developers. Okay. So this is, this is for the people that have experience building out those separate, those separate, uh, front end and back end sites that I was talking about. That's who this makes, that's what SvelteKit makes it easier for. For people going into it from scratch, this isn't going to be easy. Like you still have to learn a lot of different moving parts, right? Now, I will say it's going to be easier. Because one of the next points I have is like, for instance, deploying it. Deploy, like I said, deploying a backend and a frontend separately is a pain in the ass. Like it is a pain in the ass. Managing those deployments are a pain in the ass. We've done it. Like we've done it with oh. like classic PHP and all that. Like I've done it like 100%. Absolutely. I've done it with classic PHP and I've done it with classic VPS, like having a digital ocean droplet, running the entire backend on the digital ocean droplet, connecting to like databases and all that, and then connecting to a front end that's separately run on like Netlify. I've done that as well. That's where this is way easier because you just deploy through Netlify or Vercel and it deploys both the front end and the back end for you. Mm-hmm. Anytime you make a change, you put it, push it to GitHub. It'll redeploy whatever change you've you, you just made. If it's a front end change, it'll deploy the front end change. If it's a back end change, it'll deploy the back end change. You don't have to manage that anymore. Okay, which leads to the fact that you can now quickly, really quickly, iterate on your production builds. A lot of times, stuff will happen where the production build is a little bit different than your development build, and you're going to need to troubleshoot. So that. This makes it a lot easier and a lot faster to troubleshoot. My SvelteKit builds right now take approximately one minute to deploy everything. Whereas before, it would take me five minutes to wrangle through the deployment on the DigitalOcean droplet and wrangle through the deployment on whatever else I was deploying, right? Like, I, And I need to sometimes deploy it to both, clear caches, whatever. Sometimes I would only need to deploy it to one. So figuring out which one I need to deploy to, like it's just... It alleviates that thought process. I'm just deploying. Like as soon as I commit, commit my changes, just being deployed, I can check out and check out the, the live website and do whatever testing I need to do and then redeploy if I need to really quickly, right? Just another commit. So the, the process of going from 
uh, you know, development to deployment is very, very straightforward with a system like SvelteKit or Next.js or whatever. And that makes it a lot easier to develop on and a lot faster. The other thing it does with something like this, again, dev server. So when you're developing locally, if you're developing a local, uh, develop, like a local server and a local front end, you have to somehow connect them. You have to somehow run both the local front end and the local server. And every time you need to start developing, you need to make sure that both of them are running, both of them are listening. You have to have two files open essentially, or two IDEs or two IDE windows, whatever you want to do. And uh, just that process is lengthy and it's annoying. And it's just like, I hate it. I hate having like just to connect those two things when I just don't need to connect them. With something like SvelteKit, you run one dev server, it runs both the front end and the back end and you're good to go. Like it's literally milliseconds. Like it's so fast that most of the time when I save a file, whether it be back end or front, it doesn't matter. By the time I look at the window that I'm checking to see the changes on, it's already displayed. Like I can't even move my head fast enough as fast as it like reloads my dev server. And that's a big deal. Like it's a big deal when you think about all those milliseconds or sec or again, seconds to minutes that you're saving on older frameworks that require a lot to compile and require that connection time and require whatever else troubleshooting that you need to do to make sure that cores is working. That's my next point is that like cores, you don't have to worry about cores with this. That should be a selling point for every developer, every full stack developer out there. You don't have to worry about cores if you're developing with something like SvelteKit. Cause I, I haven't had to touch cores in the last year and a half and it's been glorious. Now, another thing is that having a one opinionated framework for an entire app is a pretty big advantage. Because again, like I was saying before, like if, you, if you're doing this in plain JavaScript and you have to think about every part of your application, how you're going to componentize it, how you're going to split it up, who's going to be working on what part and how you're going to connect them all together, how you're going to deploy it. Having a framework that has all that opinionated for you in the sense that, hey, this is how you pass data from component to component, right? This is how you do it. Now, you can do it yourself if you want to switch it up. Obviously, these are open source frameworks and there's a lot of different ways to do things, but there are ways that are already done for you that you can start with. Here's how you do it. Okay, so that's that's done. I don't have to think about that now. Here's how you show and hide a block. Here's how you do it. I don't have to think about that now. I don't have to write my own thing. I know this one works. I know it's been tested a million times by someone else. So I'm just going to use it. And so it goes down the path of everything that you do in the application. How do you pass data back and forth? This is how you do it. How do you, uh, how do you loop over data? This is how you do it. Everything is kind of pre-made for you. So you're just using the building blocks that have been created, adding your own logic. Obviously, you still have to do quite a bit of coding and put it all together. But you're putting it together in an opinionated way that is readable to not only you, but it's readable to another person coming in that has worked in this framework before or has the ability to just go and look at the documentation and be like, okay, this is how they did it. With building a custom solution, what you're limiting is that factor. Like five years down the line, if you have to hire someone and you're building your own opinionated whatever, like your own thing, you better have really good documentation. Otherwise, the person's screwed. They're going to have to go in and loop through every single part of your application to figure out where this button is built and where how this works. Like, it's just, it can be a mess. And I've seen it before where it's like, I don't know what's going on. Whereas if you go into a framework that has an opinionated way of doing something, 
you're like, oh, this is, they're just using Svelte kits. So they're using Svelte to show and hide this. They're importing this component. I can go to this component. This is where my button is. Done. Because it's already been the, the way to do it is predefined. So that's why it, it is. Some people don't like it. Some people like to have full control. And I'm not saying that you can't customize things in Svelte, but the idea of having already uh, already predefined, opinionated ways to do things is a good thing, in my opinion. Next thing here, gotchas. So we've talked about how it makes it easy. That doesn't mean that it's perfect. And you should never think that a technology that you're working with is perfect. It's never going to be perfect, and it shouldn't be. There should always be ways to make it better. And with SvelteKit, one of the way, one of the things that you're going to have to battle against a little bit is the fact that there's not a ton of UI libraries. With Next.js and React, there's a ton of them. There's a really good, really good ones called Shaden and Radix, which allow you to kind of like pull in separate components of the UI with all their functionality without having to like pull in an entire UI library. And then you can actually like edit their code in line. Uh, it's bonker. Like it's a really, really good UI library. Now Svelte technically doesn't have that. They do have a community port of both of those, but that's really all that they're at. They have a, a UI framework called Skeleton. They have a UI framework called Daisy. They're fine, but they don't have Tailwind UI, for instance. So that's a whole separate framework that you can use with uh, React, but you can't use with Svelte. There's going to be some instances where that exists. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. You're going to have some situations where if you're used to the React ecosystem, you're going to come in and you're going to be like, well, where's my whatever library? Well, it might not exist. Does that mean that it's not usable? Does that mean that you can't find a, another solution around it? Does that mean you can't build your own really quickly? No. But in certain situations, you're going to have to work around the fact that the UI library or other libraries might not exist. The other thing here is that the community has not reached its critical mass yet. With SvelteKit, or, or sorry, with React, the community is massive, right? Like it's the, it's the biggest framework by far. Any question that you look for is going to have five different, 10 different solutions. This is technically kind of a good and bad thing, though. Right, Because if they have five or 10 different solutions, which one's the best one? And the fact that React actually has a class-based version and a hooks-based version makes it even more confusing. So Svelte will have less of that. They'll have less solutions for you, but they might have an easier way to find the right one. <clears throat> and uh, I think, like, honestly, I was trying to think of other, other reasons to not use Svelte, and I had a, I had a hard time with it. Because I've just, it's been fine. Like it's been, it, it works really well. I've used it on three different kind of production ready projects at this point. I know that Apple uses it for a lot of their internal internal stuff and their customer facing stuff now. This is a battle tested framework at this point. So it's not a niche thing that people are just using for fun. Large corporations are starting to use this in real world environments on a grand scale. And it's standing the test. So this, it's ready to be used in production for sure. Whether you want to use it for your internal app or your external app, that's up to you. But I highly recommend you at least try it out. If you're into full stack development, if you've done the traditional way, try the new way. It is actually mind-bogglingly better, in my opinion, for a lot of things. It still has some caveats. Actually, one of them that I didn't mention here 
because this is a serverless type framework, serverless has limitations for how long you can run a certain uh, server function. So if you have something that pulls in 10 million things, first of all, you have a, a size limit. I think it's like 10 megabytes or something like that for how much uh, server, how much of the function can take up on your server. So if you're pulling in too much data, that could be a problem. And you have a time limit of like, I think for free, you have a minute on a paid account. You have like, <coughs> sorry, you have like uh, 10 minutes or something like that on each function. So there are some limitations that you have to be aware of. For most things that I've done, they don't matter. But if you're dealing with massive amounts of data or a massive keep alive kind of connection, you might want to look at something like uh, having your own node server to supplement this as well. I'm not going to lie, Mike. I, uh, I'm leaving this episode uh, more scared than ever for full stack struggles and uh, believing that it's going to fail. <laughs> it's a bad way to think about it, but like <clears throat> you have to just go into it with the fact that it could fail and you are going to fail a bunch and it's just going to you're going to have to learn. Like there's courses out there that will teach you step by step what you need. There's nothing stopping you from going through an, an hour or two online course to get up and running on whatever technology you need. Right. That's yeah. the thing, like any any new technology that I take on, like if there's a course for it or if there's material, like learning material, like whatever, like it's just. It's not not an hour though, right? It's for like 12 hours, something like that. It depends on what you need. It could be 12 hours. If you're going from zero to like backend developer, sure. But you know, your backend needs for your applications might not be that that crazy. I don't know. My head hurts. I don't, I don't want to end the episode like this, but I'm just saying what I feel. My head hurts. and Got to li- limit, limit scope. Bring it down to something more achievable. Like that's back, it's back all, to HTML, CSS, and JS. <laughs> you can do a lot with that and just add in small things for the back end. You don't have to do a whole system in the back. It'll be fine. Don't worry. This is a struggle that we're going through together anyway. I do I do like how this is all about how to make something easy. And then I'm just like in the background panicking. Well, you don't have actually you don't have experience with the with the full full stack full stack JavaScript stuff, right? Like you don't have experience with that yet. Literally so it's, zero. It's a complete black box to you. Yeah. So I'm just like thinking to myself, like, man, like I'm, I'm starting it's like that three layers in and I don't know, like, you know what I mean? It's not that bad. You'll it's, it's one step away from everything else. Like it's, it, it's only one extra step that you'll have to take. It's not 10 steps. Like you're not learning a completely new language here. You're not learning how to do object oriented programming fully from scratch. This is just a step of like, hey, how do I pull in data properly? Like, you don't, you're not doing anything crazy in your application on the back end. <laughs> well, get ready for some, uh, get ready for some mass like questions because. <laughs> yep, I'm ready. This is my life right now. <laughs> so yeah, that's how to do full stack development easily. <laughs> I might cut this part, but anyway, um, if this sounds interesting to you, I'm just broken. Like, I just, I don't even know what to say. I broke Matt. I broke I just, Matt. I just, I like, now I'm just like, man, it's supposed to be easy. And then I just start panicking right away. And again, that's why I had a really long precursor before this episode started, where we talked about the fact that easy is not necessarily easy for everyone. And that's okay. This is not directed at people that have never touched backend before. This is directed at full stack developers. Of which I will be hiring to finish full stack struggles. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) uh, if you want to support episodes like this, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Tim from the Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. 
Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com. And Gunner Burnett via GunnerBurnett.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.